Hi, I'm Pastor Colin Smith, Senior Pastor of The Orchard. We're a church that loves the Bible, and this podcast features sermons from pastors at each of our six locations. Our prayer is that these messages will help root you in the Word of God, nourish you in the Gospel of Christ, and help you to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Here's today's message. Some people wonder, why did Jesus have to die? Was all this suffering necessary? Couldn't God offer salvation without the cross? Perhaps you've wondered this yourself. This evening, I want you to see that Christ died to show you his love for you. You know, when I come home from work, it makes me happy to see that the dog, we have a little dog, he's happy to see me. He showers me with affection. But then there's even greater joy when I see my kids are happy to see me. And when I come home, I feel their love. People have a higher capacity for love than animals because people are made in the image of God. That's why people can weep and they can listen to you. They can share your joy and show their love in ways that animals can't. But now think about God's capacity for love. How great is the love of an infinite, perfect, and all-powerful God? The love of God is higher than any love in this world. There's no greater love than his love. And the Bible tells us that his love has been poured into our hearts. And you can know this love through the death of Jesus Christ. And so this evening, I want to show you three perspectives on Jesus' death. And as we look at these perspectives, I hope you will see the love Jesus Christ has for you. First, you see here that Barabbas goes free. Barabbas goes free. In verse 15, we read, it was the custom of the governor to release a prisoner for the crowd. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, and he wanted to free Jesus. So he decided to present Barabbas to the crowd. And if Pilate wanted to free Jesus, he had to choose someone who was despised and hated by the people. Someone he knew they would crucify. And so he chose Barabbas, thinking the crowd would free Jesus and crucify Barabbas. Now, when you look at the New Testament descriptions of Barabbas, you learn that he was a rebel in the insurrection. That's what it says. Not only that, he was a murderer, a notorious criminal, and a robber. The people in the insurrection were a group of rebels who hated the Roman government. They despised the relationship the Jewish leaders had with Rome. And to restore power to Israel, these rebel leaders declared themselves to be messiahs who would restore the Davidic kingdom. In other words, Barabbas was like a modern-day terrorist. He was a terrorist who used violence to bring about change. And though they had some sympathizers, these rebels, 
most of these groups were disliked by the people, and they were especially hated by the Jewish leaders. Why? Why did the Jewish leaders hate them so much? Because these rebels caused huge political friction between the Jewish leadership and Rome. And Pilate knew it was out of envy that these leaders wanted to kill Jesus. So he thought, well, I'll give them someone who's a greater threat for these Jewish leaders. I'll give them Barabbas. Surely they'll crucify him and free Jesus. And so he asks for Barabbas, a terrorist, a self-proclaimed Messiah who caused even more trouble for these religious leaders. Now, as all this unfolded, can you imagine what Barabbas was thinking? Think about that for a moment. He truly believed in his cause. He thought he could bring change. Not only that, when you look at historical writings and other manuscripts, we are told that his first name was Jesus. Jesus was a common name in the Jewish community during this time. Jesus means God saves. God saves. And Jesus, Barabbas, believed he was going to restore power to Israel. He was part of the insurrection. Now he's in chains, and he's rotting in a jail cell with no hope for freedom. And what awaits him, what awaits him is a grueling execution on the cross. And when the guards call him out of his cell, Barabbas, we need you to come out. What do you think he thought? That's it. It's time for me to go. And he walks, and then he sees the cross that's reserved for him. He knows the painful and gruesome execution that awaits but to his surprise there's no flogging there's no torture there's no execution what is going on the guards release his change chains and they tell him hey you're free to go you're free to go and he sees a commotion taking place he's free to go he's walking around and there's a mob of people mocking and yelling and screaming what's going on He makes his way through the crowd to see what they're looking at. And there he sees Jesus Christ being scourged, flogged by the soldiers. What's happening, he asks. What's going on? Don't you know? This man has taken your place. This man, Jesus Christ, will die. And Jesus Barabbas will live. That's the first scene we see here. Second, I want you to see the crowd's calling for blood. We see Barabbas set free. Second, we see here the crowds calling for blood. Pilate was convinced that the religious leaders and the crowds would surely ask for the release of Jesus Christ. But to his surprise, the religious leaders, they persuade the crowd to ask for Barabbas to destroy and to destroy Jesus. Pilate says, okay, You want Jesus Christ crucified? You can have him. But I am innocent of this man's blood. He washes his hands and he says, you see to it yourselves then. And you know what the people say? Listen to how they answer. His blood be on us and on our children. On our children. You don't want to get your hands dirty, Pilate? Not to worry. 
His blood is on us. It's on us. And as Jesus was hanging on the cross, some from the crowds watched to see what would happen. Others went about their day, and they were passing by, shaking their heads, and they began to mock him, the Bible tells us. You said you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are truly the Son of God, prove it. Come down from that cross, and then we'll believe in you. Didn't you say you were a king? Then show us your power. Let God deliver you. The people heard Jesus preach. They saw him heal the sick and cast out demons. They ate of the food when he fed the 4,000 and the 5,000. And they wondered if he was the Messiah. But not knowing that Jesus was the Messiah, getting their hands dirty with his blood, they crucified him on the cross. It's the second scene we see here. Third, I want you to see the soldiers mock and worship. Here we see the soldiers mock and worship. After the crowds ask for Barabbas to be freed and for Jesus to be crucified, the soldiers took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion. That's about four to six hundred men. Four to six hundred men. Soldiers. After Adam and Eve sinned, they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. And here is Jesus stripped naked by 600 men. And like a lamb being skinned for the sacrifice, Jesus is stripped and he bears shame. Then they place a crown of thorns on his head. In Genesis chapter 3, because of sin, God curses the ground. God doesn't curse Adam and Eve. He says, I curse the ground. And he says, God says, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. That's what God says. Instead of directly cursing Adam and Eve, God deflects the curse of sin to the ground, and the ground produces thorns and thistles. But now Jesus is wearing a crown of thorns, and the curse of God now rests on Jesus. And he will bear the full weight of sin, not by the sweat of his brow, but by his blood. And then finally, we are told that the soldiers divided Jesus' garments among themselves. That's interesting. Why would Matthew tell us this here? Clothing was very expensive during Jesus' time. And so the soldiers cast lots. And they took Jesus' clothes. But why this detail? Again, in Genesis chapter 3, After Adam and Eve realized they were naked, what did God do for them? God made garments for them and clothed them, and he covered their shame. And here as the soldiers take Jesus' garments, we're reminded that Jesus was stripped naked so that he could cover us with his garments. There is a day that is coming There is a day that is coming when you will be covered with heavenly garments. 
And there will be no more shame and no more guilt and no more sin. Jesus says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. That's Revelation chapter 3, verse 4. But for these soldiers, without any knowledge of what they were doing, they mocked Jesus Christ, they beat him, and finally they nailed him to a cross. So there you see three perspectives on Jesus' death from Barabbas, from the crowds, and then from these soldiers. Now, you may be wondering what all of this means for you. So what does this mean for me? Let me leave you with three ways that these stories apply to your life. Three ways these stories apply to your life. First, because of the cross of Christ, you can enjoy his love. You can enjoy his love. The cross that Jesus died on belonged to Barabbas. It was for Barabbas. He knew a torturous and gruesome death was coming his way, but Jesus took his place, and Jesus died instead of him. But when Christ went to the cross, he didn't just die a gruesome death. He also bore the punishment for your sin and for my sin. Christ received the full wrath of God, the curse of sin. That's why Peter calls the cross a tree. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 1 Peter 2.24 The tree represented a hanging and a man who was hung on a tree was cursed by God. You know, before Jesus was about to the, go to the cross, the Bible tells us that he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's an interesting what he prays. Do you remember what he prays? He says, if this cup could be taken from me, Lord, if this cup could be taken from me, is there any other way? I have a book of martyrs. A martyr is somebody who dies for the Christian faith. It tells the story of many Christians dying with joy for Jesus Christ. All of them were glad to die for their faith. They were excited to stand for the gospel. And you see men and women die with joy. But here's Jesus in the garden. If this cup could be taken from me, is Jesus less than them? Is he a coward? How can he say this prayer? It's because there's so much more going on here than a martyr's death. Jesus Christ enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father, and now he's going to be forsaken by God. He's going to face the emptiness and the loneliness of the cross. Jesus is going to receive the full wrath of God. But do you know what? Knowing all of that, yes, he prayed if this cup could be taken. But what does he say after that? Not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus goes to the cross. 
And what's amazing is he stays on the cross. He goes to the cross and he stays on the cross. He was beaten, stripped naked by the soldiers, mocked and ridiculed by the crowds and the priests. He could have called upon God to bring judgment. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. And instead of calling for judgment against the soldiers, instead of calling for a judgment against the crowds, Jesus receives the judgment upon himself. Why? Why does he receive the judgment upon himself? Why does Jesus go to the cross? Why does he stay on the cross? Friend, it's because of his love for you. Jesus died for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross proves God's love for you. God shows you his love. He died on the cross. You know, many people don't like the idea of an angry and wrathful God. How could a loving God cause so much suffering? But listen to this. You can't have a truly loving God without an angry God. You can't have a truly loving God without an angry God. Listen to what one pastor states. This is what Tim Keller writes, and I quote, If you don't believe in a God of wrath, you have no idea of your value. Here's what I mean. A God without wrath has no need to go to the cross and suffer incredible agony and die in order to save you. And then he says, picture on the left a God who pays nothing in order to love you. And picture on the right the God of the Bible, who, because he's angry at evil, must go to the cross, absorb the debt, pay the ransom, and suffer immense torment. How do you know how much the free love God loves you or how valuable you are to him? Well, for this kind of God, love is just a concept. It's just an idea. You don't know it all. This God pays no price in order to love you. But how valuable are you to the God of the Bible? How valuable are you to the God of the Bible? Valuable enough that he would go to the cross for you, end quote. God's love isn't just a concept or an idea. It's something you can experience in your life like a spring of water. God has poured out his love over you. He has poured out his love into your heart. And if you're wondering how you can know God loves you, look to the cross. Look to the cross. You'll see the wrath of God poured out on Christ, but at the same time, and in the same act, you'll see that God's love is poured out on you. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Christ died for you so you can enjoy his love. Secondly, we can apply this to our lives by showing his, showing his love to others. Show his love. Show his love. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to confront someone. 
That's what happened with King David. King David sinned, and Nathan the prophet confronted David with his sin. And because of that, the king repented. Other times, the most loving thing we can do is to wait and be patient, even in suffering, even in suffering. As the soldiers were mocking Jesus and beating Jesus, he could have destroyed them. That's it. I've had enough. But that's not what he does. Rather, Jesus entrusted himself to the Father, and he showed love and compassion and mercy to these soldiers. And because of that, listen to this, because of that, these soldiers came to believe in him. They saw that Jesus was the Son of God. This is Matthew chapter 27, verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquakes and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. If Jesus had taken revenge, if instead of compassion, Jesus showed judgment, these Soldiers would have never found salvation. You know, there's so much conflict in our world today. But Christian brother and sister, let's, let's show the love of Christ to this world. Let's be a light. Let's do what we can do to bring healing instead of trying to win the argument. Let's forgive others as Christ forgave us. Let's be slow to speak and quick to listen. And do you know what happens when you do this? When you do this, the pain ends with you. The pain ends with you. You absorb the pain just like Christ. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 24. For to this you have been called. What, to, what have I been called to? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Okay, what is his example? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christian brother and sister, let's show the love of Christ. Show his love. Third and finally, we can apply these stories of Jesus' death by believing in him. Believe in him. Believe in him. In the book of Acts, following Jesus's resurrection and ascension into heaven, Peter begins to preach to the crowd, and he opens up the scriptures to the people, and he shows them why the Messiah had to die. And he says, you guys have killed him. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, he says. After hearing this, the people were cut to the heart. That's what the Bible says. They were cut to the heart. They realized what they did. They killed the Messiah. Can you imagine what they felt? Will God judge us now? We're done for. What hope could there be for us? We killed the Messiah. 
Is there anything we can do? What shall we do, they say. What shall we do? Do you know what Peter says? Peter says, repent and believe. Repent and believe and you shall be saved. This is from Acts chapter 2, verse 37 to 39. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Wow. You may think that you are in a position in which there is no hope for you. You've attended church before, perhaps, and maybe you've turned your back on God. You've been angry with God. You've cursed God, and you think, I'm too far off now. I can't return to him. But I want to let you know there is hope for you. There is hope for you. Jesus is telling you, return to me, come to me, believe in me, believe in me. You know, I love this part where it says, this promise is for you and for your children. Do you remember what the people said to Pilate? As Pilate was washing his hands, they shouted, his blood be on us and our children. We'll take the guilt for killing Jesus, and may this guilt be passed even to our children, they say. They had no idea, but as they said this, Jesus was saying to them, Yes, my blood will be on you and on your children, but not in judgment, but in forgiveness. The people shouted, His blood be on us and our children. But Jesus says, For the promise is for you and for your, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Christ died to offer you salvation, to cover you with his blood, and this promise can be yours. Today, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved you will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this evening. And as we see the crowds, as we see Barabbas being set free, as we see the soldiers mock your son, Lord, we see ourselves in them and we see our sin. But we also see in the cross that Jesus took our place that he has removed our guilt. And Lord, we see the hope and the love you have for us. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts, that you would open up our minds so that we might believe in you, so that we might enjoy your love for all of eternity. We thank you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Orchard Sermon Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe, become a regular listener, and share the link with others. 
And if you're in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, we'd love to welcome you as our guest at one of the Orchard 6 locations. For more information, go to theorchard.church. That's theorchard.church. <laughs>